music this morning, and if you are part of junior church, a junior church worker, 12 years and under, you can be dismissed this morning. If you're staying with us, take your Bibles, please. Turn to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter 10. Appreciate all of the, the music this morning that's prepared our hearts. I trust you're ready for the Word of God this morning. Looking forward to spending some time in God's Word this morning. It's perfect. It's forever settled in heaven, and it is the means by which our faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Mark chapter number 10 in our Bibles this morning. And I want to just give you some of the background and set the context for you of Mark chapter 10 and the verses that we're going to read. Um, The title of this morning's message is Just As He Said, Just As Jesus Said. And in our text that we're about to read, we find ourselves about one day from the start of what we would call Passion Week. Uh, If we were going to correlate that to where you and I are today, uh, we're about a a week ago from yesterday in the text. And and Passion Week begins really with that, what we call the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. And it goes through a number of things, but it culminates in the mock trial in the, uh, the abuse, in the beating of Jesus Christ, ultimately in the crucifixion, three days in the grave, and then on Sunday, just as he said, he arose. And Jesus is, at this point in our text, leading his disciples to Jerusalem for that time that we know as the triumphal entry into the city. Uh, and uh, he is getting ready to be really at that point praised and worshipped by those who are in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and if we were yet to fast forward eight days from that time, going through all of those events of Passion Week uh, culminating in the cross and the crucifixion, we would get to Sunday morning. And Sunday morning, we know, we just heard the, uh, uh, many of the songs refer to it where the, the ladies, the women came to the grave. They came expecting, they were still really kind of in the dark and expecting to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus Christ to give him a proper burial. But an angel meets them there and he says to them, hey, listen, don't fear. I know who you're seeking. You're seeking Jesus. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. The as he said part refers back to the text that we are about to read from Mark chapter 10 as Jesus is speaking to his disciples about his death, his burial, his resurrection. And in the scriptures, this is the third time of three times that Jesus speaks in kind of very specific ways about his death, burial, and resurrection. This is the most detailed, though. So follow along in your Bible, if you would, please, as I read Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through verse number 34. And notice what the Word of God says. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. They are the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and Jesus with them, of course. And Jesus went before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve, and he began to tell them what things should happen to him. Saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and they shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And on the third day, he shall rise again. Our Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that you will please bless our time in the Word. Lord, we pray this morning that if anybody here 
isn't 100% certain that if they were to die today, they would be instantaneously and forever in the presence of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. They aren't certain that heaven is their home, that their eternity is settled, sure and certain. We pray today that they would make it so. They would receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I pray that as Christians, we would be attentive to the Word. We would be encouraged on this day and by the Word. And Lord, above all else, would you be honored and glorified. For you alone are worthy of being glorified. We come this morning to worship you as our risen Savior. And we're so thankful that we know, just as you said, you arose. You defeated the grave and death. And we celebrate that this morning and we worship you because of it. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but there have been a number of times in my life where I was anxious about death and wondering about whether, you know, I was going to meet death a little sooner than I thought when I woke up in the morning. And probably everybody through their lifetime goes through a period of time or has an experience that they can relate to or a day or a time in their life where they can say, you know, I, I, I think maybe I thought I was going to meet death that day or in that instance. Uh, in 2001, in late November of 2001, I was, uh, I was traveling with a, another missionary from Quebec, Canada, and uh, we were in several meetings, and we were getting to re uh, ready to board a plane in Detroit, and uh, we got on that plane. Now, I had boarded planes numbers and numbers of times. I'm getting close to being a part of the Million Mile Club with American Airlines, and so I've got a few miles under my belt, and so I kind of know what to expect when I get on a plane and know what we should kind of be doing and not be doing. I'm not a pilot, but I've been on enough planes to kind of know what to expect at takeoff during flight and during landing. Uh, my friend that was with me had never been on a plane before at all. And... Uh, he was sitting right next to me. I always sit in the window seat because I'm a control freak, and it th I think by sitting by the window, I have some control over the flight because I look out and go, the pilot's doing it right. We got it under control. If he's not, I'm the guy that gets up and knocks on the door and says, can I see the pilot? He's not really got this thing going right, and, and I want to help him out. Uh, so I was sitting by the window, my friend sitting next to me, and, and I noticed as I was sitting by the window as we were at the gate, they were de-icing uh, the wings of the plane. Now that's always a good thing for them to do that if it's been icy in the morning and you think that's a comfort. I'm glad they've taken the time to do that. And then we came around and uh, the pilot told us we were going to be the next for takeoff, so on and so forth. And, and, and as we made our way down the runway, everything was going just as fine as it could be, just as you would expect and getting ready for takeoff. And, and as we took off, usually, you know, you expect that you're going to take off. Well, we did leave the ground, but we never really did take off. And I noticed very quickly that we were not gaining elevation. And, and I thought to myself, they missed some of the ice on the wings. This probably isn't going to go well. And as I'm looking out my window, because I'm going to be in control of this thing, I notice that we are literally just barely missing the top of high-rise buildings right outside of the airport in Detroit. I thought to myself, we're not going to make it. I can tell you honestly, I did not fear death. I have received Jesus as my Savior. I knew if I died, I'd go to heaven. But here's what I thought. I wonder how bad it's going to hurt. 
And then I thought this. I said, well, we're not that high, and we're not going that fast, so maybe we'll make it. Well, finally, the pilot circles us around the airport, and, and finally, we got some elevation. We took off. I never did share with my friend how close I thought we were to death, and I really don't know what happened that day and why we never got any elevation. But I was anxious just the same, even as a Christian, about death. Not about where I would spend eternity, that settled in Jesus Christ, but about what would be those moments if there was impact, and how would it hurt, and would I have to suffer long? You know, it's normal to be anxious about death. Even the Bible tells us that it's normal to be anxious about death. And especially if you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, it's normal to be anxious about death. I, I think of inmates who sit on condemned death row and sit as condemned men. And, and I think that as we go through the process of, of putting men and women to, to death in this country for crimes that they've committed, by the way, uh, whether you agree with that or not, it's biblical, but that, that's not my purpose this morning. Anyway, uh, I, think of that, I think of that process. And we have done our best to kind of dignify that process and try to, uh, to kind of calm the nerves of those who face execution. I don't know that it works, but I know that there's a process. And the whole idea is we'll calm these people. A person who sits on death row uh, will be told 30 days in advance of his execution a number of things. And he'll get a number of instructions about what is going to happen to him in the next 30 days. At 30 days, he must decide what the state is supposed to do with his body and belongings after the execution. From 29 days before the execution to 48 hours before the execution, there are daily rehearsals of the execution. The condemned man does not take part in those rehearsals, but he is filled in on all the details and exactly what is going to happen to him. If that, seven days rather, before the execution, the condemned man will be allowed to order his last meal. He will be served that meal only hours before he is executed. He is told that if he is going to be executed by electrocution, that in those hours before the execution, his body will be shaved by prison staff to make sure that the, the skin makes good contact with the electrodes. He is informed that 25 minutes prior to the execution, he will be strip-searched. He will be given a clean jumpsuit. He will be placed in handcuffs, leg irons, and escorted to the execution chamber. He is informed that once he's in the execution chamber, he will be strapped to that electric chair at multiple points. He's reminded, and I'm not sure why, but he's reminded that in the execution chamber, there's a fire extinguisher in case anything goes wrong. He's told that you'll be allowed to give a two-minute last statement, but if you go over the two minutes, the execution will proceed. He's told that the next thing that will happen in the procedure is that they will take a sponge soaked in salt water and they will place that on the, on the condemned man's head. On top of that sponge, they will place a leather cranial cap that is lined with copper. They will attach an electrode to that cap He's told that as that cap and that sponge sit on his head, the water will begin to drip down into his face and the salt water will sting his eyes. He's told that they will place towels over his torso and finally a shroud will be placed over his head. 
He is told very specifically that the very last word you will hear anybody speak is time as the warden gives the instruction to the executioner to push a button on the wall. He's told when that button is pushed that 1,750 volts of electricity will stream through his body, that his body will jerk up and down and convulse uncontrollably, and that ultimately he will die from cardiac arrest. He's told that to ensure that the execution is completed 15 seconds after the initial jolt of electricity, a second one will be entered into his body. He's then told that uh, by that time he will surely be dead and state law requires that his body remain visible for witnesses to, to observe for five minutes. That after five minutes the shades on the execution chamber will be closed, a doctor will check his vitals, pronounce him legally dead, and his body will be transferred from the custody of the Department of Correction to the state coroner's office. All of this is supposed to bring some dignity and eliminate the anxiousness of the unknown for the inmate. But I want you to know this morning that, that Hollywood gets it wrong because they always show the condemned man walking in a very stoic way and, and with nerves of steel and he's just going to take his punishment. The truth of the matter is most don't. Most get very anxious. Most have uh, times of, of hyperventilating and many have to be carried to that execution chamber. The truth of the matter is they know what's going to happen to them and there's some nervousness about that. But if you talk to condemned men on condemned row, and I've had the opportunity uh, working in maximum security prisons and in other places, I've had the opportunity to speak to condemned men and, and really they, they don't fear the process as much as this. What happens afterwards? Where do I go? What happens to me? You know, the Bible tells us that it's natural to have fear of death. In Hebrews 2 and verse 15, the Bible says that there's a fear of death all our lifetime that subjects a lost person, somebody who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, to bondage. And I wonder this morning, have you ever had a time in your life where you were overwhelmed by the fear of death? Have you ever thought about where will you spend eternity? I wonder this morning... Have you ever wondered about the, the pain and the suffering that will lead up to it? And, and I'm trying to tell you that you would, you would not be alone if that's the case. In our text this morning, the first thing I want you to notice with me is the terror by which the disciples of Jesus are engulfed. The terror by which they are engulfed. In verse 32 of our text, the Bible says, And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them, and they were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid. Now note very carefully that this happens before Jesus speaks about the crucifixion. It, it happens before he speaks about the mock trial. The word amazed in verse 32 speaks of being overtaken by terror, to be frightened. The idea of the word is to be astonished in a dreadful way. To be overwhelmed with a strong fear. And so as Jesus brings his disciples to Jerusalem, and we focus on the triumphal entry, sometimes we forget that the disciples were overwhelmed by fear. The, the next word that, word that we see is, is afraid. They were amazed they were already terrorized, and the word afraid is an even stronger word to express their terror. 
The word uh, afraid here means to be so terrified so as to want to run away from the thing that is, is causing the terror. So as the disciples are with Jesus and he's talking to them and they are heading to the triumphal entry, the Bible says that these men are in full-blown terror, engulfed with terror. They're overwhelmed with fright as they walk toward Jerusalem with Jesus. And that's all before Jesus says anything about the crucifixion, the mock trial, and all of the difficulties and tribulations he's going to face. I don't know if you've ever stopped to wonder why the, the, the disciples were afraid about going to Jerusalem before Jesus said, hey, by the way, this is the week, this is when the trial starts, this is when the crucifixion comes. The truth is, the text tells us the answer. We don't have to wonder. Just two verses prior, Jesus had been speaking to the disciples in verse 29 and verse number 30, uh, and then verse 31, the Bible says this, and, and Jesus answered, he said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man who hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but shall receive a hundredfold. So we hear a lot of preaching on that text right there, and a lot of people will focus in on all the blessings that are associated with following Jesus. And by the way, there are a hundredfold blessings and then some. And that's where we focus. He says there are going to be a hundredfold blessings in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mother and children and lands. But watch the next two words. With persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. Why are the disciples overcome with fear? Why are they engulfed with terror as they're just simply walking towards Jerusalem with Jesus? They don't even know the, the distinct purpose for what they are going right now. And yet they're already afraid. It seems to me that the only thing they heard as Jesus spoke to them about a hundredfold wasn't about the blessings, but about the persecutions that they, they heard and focused in on and keyed on, and what got a hold of their hearts was there's persecutions coming, hundredfold persecutions. And it seems to me that the, the followers of Jesus, even though he had said, listen, there's a lot of blessings coming, the only thing they heard was there's persecution coming. And the Bible says that as a result of that conversation, they are engulfed by terror. It reminds me of the teenage boy who came to his father early in the week and he said, Dad, can I use the car Friday night? And his dad said, absolutely, you can use the car if you wash it, wax it, and vacuum it. And the boy looked at his dad and said, why do I always have to do so much work? We have a tendency to focus in on the negative rather than the positive. We have a tendency to focus in on the, the, the things we don't like rather than the blessings we're about to receive. And so the, the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, are with Jesus. They're walking towards Jerusalem. The triumphal entry awaits. And the Bible says they are overcome by terror. Why? Well, they know persecution in that day can be anything up to and including death. So even the disciples of Jesus 
have a certain anxiousness about death. I don't think they are anxious about where they're going to spend death, but I think maybe like myself, they wondered, I wonder how bad it's going to hurt. I wonder today, have you ever been anxious about death? Maybe you're here today and you're not 100% sure that if you were to die today, you would be instantaneously in heaven and you would spend eternity with Jesus and you are a little bit anxious about death. And maybe you've trained yourself like I did before I was saved and before I received Jesus as Savior to just simply not think about that. You know that'll only work for so long. Sooner or later, you and I are going to face death. The Bible tells us in Romans 5 and verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all of sin. The wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9 and verse number 27, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. You know, you may be here this morning, and you may be one of those people that's late to every appointment that you ever have. Late to the doctor's office, late to work, late to Sunday school, late to this, late to that. Can I tell you, you will make this appointment on time. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. What is your life? It is but a vapor. It appeareth for a moment, it vanisheth away. Behold, thou hast made my days, the psalmist said, as a handbreadth, and my ages as nothing before thee. Verily, every man is at his best state altogether vanity. I'm simply trying to tell you it's not a matter of if I die or if you die. It's a matter of when we die. And I want you to know that if you die without Jesus as your Savior, then you die as a condemned person. The Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse number 18 that he that believeth on him, on Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. In John 3 and verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth right now, present tense, on him. I'm simply saying that the Bible is very clear. We all have an appointment with death. And if we don't know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, then a lake of fire which burneth with brimstone for all eternity is what awaits. It's no wonder there's a certain fear of death. It's no wonder the psalmist said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Because once death comes, it's too late to do anything about eternity. You have to decide where you'll spend eternity today. You don't get to decide in eternity. It's too late then. So let's listen to the words of Jesus as we look at this. And, and, and the next thing I want us to notice is the truth that Jesus expounded. I see the terror by which the disciples were engulfed, but I see the truth that Jesus expounded. And, and, and he says, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and the scribes, and to the shall be condemned. Uh, they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. They shall mock him. They shall scourge him. They shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. You know, Jesus is fully aware as he walks with his disciples that they are afraid, that they are engulfed by terror. He's not, he's not in the dark about this. 
He's God in the flesh, and so he's very aware of what they're going through. And Jesus' purpose is not that you and I would ever live in fear and in terror. Uh, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. And so Jesus begins to expound some truths to them, and he begins to tell them about some things that are going to happen. Jesus begins to tell them very plainly that, yes, indeed, there will be persecution in Jerusalem, but it won't be for you this week, fellas. It's going to be all for me. The Bible tells us that Jesus is despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 21, For God the Father hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. And so Jesus begins to tell his disciples about the cruelest the most heinous act of murder that the world will ever know. You can almost hear, if you would imagine it, I think this morning, the screeching voices, crucify him, crucify him. It seems to me that they're so close to the crucifixion now that Jesus can feel the splinters in his back. He can feel the nails ripping in his flesh and the spear piercing through his side. And not for any sin of his own, for he had none. He is the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And because he desires that all would spend eternity with him, he will go in our place and take our punishment. The sin of the world is laid upon the spotless Lamb of God so that he might purchase our salvation. And I want you to notice some details from the truth that Jesus expounds to the disciples. I think they'll help you this morning. Number one, notice with me the treason he would experience. The treason he would experience. He says in verse number 33 that he shall be delivered unto the chief priest. The word delivered speaks of handing somebody over with evil intent. That Greek word delivered is translated 36 other times in our New Testament as betrayed. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to be betrayed. And the first thing that Jesus tells his disciples is, I'm going to be betrayed. Now you and I know that ultimately he was betrayed by many, but we focus in mostly on Judas Iscariot when we think of Jesus being betrayed. We think of the one who turned Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. The price of a slave. Jesus had never done him any harm. Jesus had only shown him kindness and love. Jesus had only ever given to Judas uh, the opportunity that he gives to all eternal life in him. He even allowed him to hold an important position within the group. He was the treasurer of the group that followed Jesus. You know, in our modern day, Benedict Arnold is synonymous with traitor. And we know what Benedict Arnold did and how he traded and was treacherous against this country in the war for independence. And and if you study history, you will find out that Benedict Arnold rationalized what he did. He had been accused of some crimes that he had not committed. He felt like he had been maligned. He had been overlooked for some promotions and just a number of things. I make no excuse for what he did, but I think if you study history, you can rationalize how it was that Benedict Arnold rationalized trading on his country. 
But you can't do that for Judas Iscariot. Jesus never maligned Judas. Jesus never did him any harm. Judas never knew a truer friend than Jesus. Even when Judas came with the crowd that he had sold Jesus to, the Bible says that Judas greeted him and said, Hail, Master, and greeted him with a kiss. And Jesus replied, Friend, you know, I would have called Judas a lot of things that night. None of them would have been friend. Why would it that Jesus would call Judas friend? Because Jesus was willing to die even for Judas. He was not willing that any should perish. You and I look at Judas and we, we despise his hypocrisy. We disdain his lack of character. We're disgusted by what he did. But before we're too hard on Judas, can I suggest that there's been a time in all of our lives when maybe we too have been a bit treasonous, treacherous against Jesus? Times when we have ignored him, times where we have uh, uh, cast him aside, times where we have disdained him, times where we maybe knew that he died in our place but didn't care so much. The songwriter said, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died. I'm here to tell you it was for you he died. So today, if we were to sing that song later on, you couldn't honestly say, knowing not it was for me he died. You could only sing, caring not it was for me he died. Is that not a treacherous act? To disregard what Jesus has done. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. Notice also the tribunal that Jesus would encounter. He spoke of the treason he would experience with the tribunal he would encounter. He said, they shall condemn him. They shall pass judgment upon him. Can you imagine that the creature had the audacity to put the creator on trial? The audacity of man to presume himself worthy to judge God. We look at those who held the mock trial and we hold them in disdain, but be, don't be too quick. Do we not put God on trial sometime? We go to the doctor, we hear some bad news. And we may not vocalize it, but we think in our heart, you know, if Jesus loved me, he wouldn't let this happen. We, we pray and, and we don't get the answer that we want and we don't vocalize it, but we think about it in our heart. Well, if God really loved me, he'd let me have my way. I don't know about you, but I look at some of the things I prayed for and I'm glad God didn't let me have my way. So before we're too quick to jump on the bandwagon and condemn those who judged the creator, we might want to look in the mirror first. I think all of us have put the Lord on trial from time to time. Too many times have I met a person who, who, who I'm trying to give the gospel to and they have condemned the Lord already. Have no time for him because they've decided that God isn't good enough to them. The God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Greater love hath no man than this than that he lay down his life for his friends. Notice also that Jesus spoke about the tribulation he would endure the tribulation he would endure. He said they shall mock him, they shall deride him, they shall scourge him, they shall dreadfully afflict him, they shall spit upon him, they shall disdain him, they shall kill him, they shall bring about death. 
Can you imagine that they would mock and deride and insult Jesus? Of course you can. Because we live in a day and age where people mock and deride and insult Jesus every day. We have politicians who tell us if you have to go to church, if you're a part of a religion, it's just a crutch. Uh, I, I, won't, I won't say all of, of what the man said, but there's a, an individual who gladly takes for himself the name of or title of reverend, stands in a pulpit week after week, but he doesn't believe in the Bible and he doesn't believe in Jesus and he doesn't believe that the word of God is the word of God. And his view is this. Any God who would send anybody to hell because they didn't do what he said deserves to go to hell himself. Do we not mock, deride? Do we not treat the Lord with disdain? I want you to know something this morning. There's a common misconception that God sends people to hell. That couldn't be more unbiblical if we try to make it so on purpose. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that God sends people to hell. In fact, you won't even find that hell was created for man. It was created for the devil and his angels. The truth of the matter is that God loves you and I so much and he has such respect for you and I that he will allow us to make our own choice about eternity and though it may break his heart, he will allow us to decide whether we will spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. God loves you and I so much that he will not kidnap us and force us to spend eternity in heaven. Think about this. Anybody who disdains the Lord Jesus Christ, who hates the Lord Jesus Christ, who has no love for the Lord Jesus Christ, could never be happy in heaven. Best I can tell, that first part of the service where we sang all those praises to Jesus, that's what heaven's all about. So, so God loves people so much, though it breaks his heart, and though he gave his son so that we wouldn't have to go to hell and we could have a choice to make. He says, I love you so much, and I, and I respect you so much, I will honor the choice that you make. I'm not kidnap you and force you to spend eternity in my presence if you do not want to. My favorite verse in all of the Bible is John chapter 1 and verse number 12. But to as many as received him, Jesus, to them gave he power, the right, the authority to become the sons or the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. What choice will you make? God awaits your decision. Notice Jesus spoke about one more thing. The triumph Jesus would effectuate. The triumph Jesus would effectuate. I believe with all my heart that Jesus started this conversation to alleviate the fear that the disciples were experiencing. And yet he spoke about the treason he would experience, the tribunal he would encounter, the tribulation he would endure. And I would submit if that's where he ended, he would have never quelled their fears. But he had one more thing to say. He said, oh yeah, they shall mock him. They shall scourge him. They shall spit upon him. They shall kill him. And on the third day, mark it down, he shall rise again. He shall rise again. The last phrase is the most important. All of eternity pivots on the last phrase. 
This is the triumph that he would effectuate, that the Son of God will endure all of these things in your place, become sin for you who knew no sin, that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. And he says, and yet I will defeat the grave on the third day. Jesus couldn't hide the truth of the anguish and the agony to his friends on that day. He couldn't say, listen, it's going to be okay. He's God. He can't lie. He had to tell them about the terror that they would face. He had to tell them there were persecutions coming. He had to tell them that there was a mock trial. He had to tell them that he would would face a heinous death. He had to tell them he would spend three days in the grave. But he had to tell them I'm rising again three days later. And thank God that the cross wasn't the end of the matter because there's no hope if it was. Three days later, just as he said, after the crucifixion, after three days in the grave, Jesus secured the greatest victory in the history of forever. Death was defeated, grave lost its sting, and life eternal was purchased. To tell us die, he said, it is finished. The curtain in the temple was torn from two, from top to bottom, showing that God had accomplished it, made way for man to enter into the presence of God. What I'm trying to tell you is, we're here this morning to celebrate his resurrection, just as he said. Just as he said. You and I live after the fact But can you imagine the words of the angel as they rung in the ears of those ladies that morning at the grave? Be not afraid and you seek Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Just as he said. I don't know about you this morning, but perhaps you have lived in fear of death. Fear not. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. He suffered the trees and he suffered the trial. He suffered the tribulation and he did it in our place. All of it belonged to us. None of it was his. He deserved not one of it, but he decided I'll take it all in your place. Jesus says, if you will receive me as Savior, I will give you eternal life. I'll give you life abundantly. You can know this morning that you're on your way to heaven. The greatest thing that you can know in all the world is that you're on your way to heaven. Several years ago, I was in a man's home in Surprise, Arizona. His name is Adam, and I was giving him the gospel. I was trying to help him to understand that Jesus loved him, and he could know he was on his way to heaven. He said, you know, Tony, I'd like to know. I really want to know that, I can, that I'm on my way to heaven. I showed him 1 John 5 and verse number 13, where the Bible says this. These things have I written unto you that, you be, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And I looked at Adam and I said, Adam, that word know there, it means that you can know that you know that you know. And he said, oh, you mean I can know in my knower? And I said, that's a great way to put it. Man, you can know in your knower and you can know in your heart because with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You do not have to live in fear of death. 
God never designed you and I to have to live in fear of death. He knows it's a reality because of sin, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm here to tell you this morning, no fear in death. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm in the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he arose and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for I am his and he is mine can you say that this morning morning I am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of Christ no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand I'm here to tell you this morning I don't fear death it's not because I'm some superman it's not because I have some great amount of courage it's because I know that Jesus Christ has defeated death I have received him as my personal savior. I haven't tried to earn, I have tried to earn my salvation. And God said, by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I'm simply here to tell you this morning that maybe you're living, maybe you're living in fear of death. Maybe you're wondering, what happens after it's all done anyway? There's only two choices. Life eternal in heaven or life eternal in a lake of fire. God loves you so much that he sent his son so that you could have a means by going to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. But God also loves you so much and honors and respects you so much, he will allow you to make the choice. What choice will you make? Our Father, we come to you and we thank you for Resurrection Sunday. We thank you for a resurrected Savior. We thank you that salvation is full and free. We thank you that we don't have to earn our salvation. We're thankful for the example of the thief on the cross who said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. So we're thankful that to be absent for the body is to be present with the Lord for those who know Jesus as Savior. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and nobody's looking around. And I wouldn't call your name and I probably wouldn't even know your name. I wouldn't embarrass you for all the money in the world. I just want to ask a question and try to help you this morning. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. You would say this, you would say, Brother Tony, I don't fear death any longer. I've received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I know that I know that I know. I know him, I know her, I know in my heart. I have received Jesus as Savior. I'm on my way to heaven this morning because of what he did for me. If you're a Christian, you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Raise your hand this morning as a testimony. I'm on my way to heaven. I know it. Thank you. Many, many hands. You can put them down. Now, maybe, maybe you didn't understand the question, or maybe you don't know. Maybe you're not sure. Some didn't raise their hands. Let me speak to you just for a moment. 
In just a moment, we're going to sing again in Christ alone. He is mine and I am his. If God's spoken to your heart this morning and you want to know that you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven, would you meet me in just a few moments right here as we sing? We'll have a man with a man, a lady with a lady, take the Bible and show you how you could receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I pray that you will do that this morning. So, Father, I pray that as we, in just a moment, stand to sing, that, God, those who are here and don't know you as Savior, maybe living in fear of death, would make it change this morning, that it would be a difference. And they would say it was good to be in the house of the Lord. Have your will and way in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing that song. Brother Caleb's going to come lead us. Pastor will be on that side. I'll be on this side.